This is People Who Play, a show about the art of playful living. I'm Emma Warrillow, researcher, writer and part-time mermaid. And I'm Ben Martin, content creator and nostalgia junkie. Join us once a week as we discuss our playful approach to parenting, work and marriage. Plus, look out for extra guest episodes. We believe that fun should be part of the everyday and we are here to support any grown-ups who want to grow down and avoid the onset of serious-itis that kicks in in adulthood. Find me on Instagram at playful underscore den. And if you'd like more of my content, you can subscribe to my Patreon. Just search for my name, Emma Warrillow, and get access to exclusive podcasts, insights and updates. And for all your retro feels, find me on Instagram at BenFlyingRetro. We really do appreciate all your likes, subscribes, follows and shares. These digital high fives really mean a lot to us and help us to grow the show. Okay, let's get on with the episode. It's playtime. Hello and welcome to this guest episode of People Who Play. The person I'm speaking today is certainly a person that plays. Her name is Cara Latta and she is founder and chief fun officer of The Playful Warrior. Cara has become somewhat of an internet friend of mine. Um, I cannot remember how I stumbled across her work but our Instagram paths crossed and we've kept in touch and I really really enjoy Cara's content her energy and her story is really interesting she speaks about a time in her life where it feels felt like everything was going wrong I'm sure we can all identify with those moments she was recommended by a therapist to start playing and realized that she was experiencing a play deprivation and started her journey of returning to play and was really surprised at the consequences and as a result made some massive life decisions big changes and is now teaching more people to play and supporting groups and teams and individuals with rediscovering play i think what i like about this conversation is we get quite technical with ideas and specifics about how you do that I think once you have that moment where you realize yeah I don't know when I stopped having fun I don't know the last time I've played I know that I need to get at it but it's hard it is hard especially if you've got a lot going on in your life so Cara has some really great tips and ideas for how to do that and how to ease yourself back into a life with play. I really hope you enjoy this conversation. Let me know what you learned. Let me know what resonated with you and I will leave you to enjoy. Laura, hello. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. I'm so excited to be here to chat with you. Thanks for having me. We've become Instagram friends (laughs) and I've had a conversation with you before and I enjoyed it immensely and I had to get you on here and I have to start with this question so your business is the playful warrior that is you that is where people can find you online tell us what is a playful warrior what does that mean to you what is the story of how you became the playful warrior Ooh, okay. Love this. So 
Gosh, it started about three and a half years ago. I was working in the corporate world for over 10 years and was really miserable in my job. Um, not that there's anything wrong with the corporate world. It's just I knew that there was meant for more for, there was more meant for me on my path. And at the time, I was doing a lot of therapy, like working through childhood trauma every week, and it was all so heavy. And I was also going through what many call like a dark night of the soul. So in addition to having this job that made me really miserable, I was also working through health issues like epilepsy and having more seizures. I also had a breakup of a really serious relationship that I thought would be the person I would marry. Uh, I had a cockroach infestation as well, which was just like mirroring everything in my life. So I had so much anxiety and everything was like crashing down. It all felt so heavy. I felt like I was on this like warrior, like trudging through this path and just trying to be as resilient as possible and losing hope. And my therapist had suggested, why don't you try playing more? Like life is really heavy for you. And I was like, cool. Like, what does that mean though, as an adult? Like, how do you play as an adult? And then I got really interested in that idea and was very curious about it and started looking up, how do you play as an adult? And what I really found was science behind play, like why it was important, which was really cool. But I couldn't really find like how to beyond just do things you like to do as a kid, which mm. was great. But I know a lot of us don't have memories as kids. So I kind of felt this block around how do I play? And for me also, I was learning by reading about play that I actually wasn't as playful as I thought I was. Like for me, I was a competitive dancer. I loved board games, but I was so competitive or playing something like cornhole. Like if I did not win, I was having a terrible time. Like I always needed to win. I was such a perfectionist. And yeah, I just, it was all about achieving for me. Play really was like about an outcome. And then I was learning that, oh, actually play is not about that. It's about being in the moment and being present and curious, which is like things I was not doing. Um, and so I was really yeah, intrigued about this idea of like returning to play because as a kid, I was so playful. I was so in the moment, you know, dancing around like animals, like shrieking with joy anytime I was going to eat, just being so curious, not worrying what other people thought of me, not judging my body. And it was really like, as I was doing inner child healing, I really wanted to return to that version of little Kara who was so playful. Uh, and so I kind of started this play journey myself with no intentions for it to be a business um, because when the pandemic started, I lost my job and I had more time. And so I, you know, I guess challenge was the word that came up, but I invited myself once every day to do something new, to do something playful. Um, and so for me, this idea of the playful warrior came up. It was like, maybe these words sound very contradictory, but it was like the warrior in me realized that play is what I really needed to get through this life thing. And that was what I was meant for. It was like, I, I had to learn to embrace my playful parts because I had a lot of resistance around that because I was very worried what other people thought of me to be silly, to be judged. Um, and then when I started exploring more play, it was changing everything. Like I was so much more creative and adaptable and happier and healthier. And I literally just felt the best I ever had. And then, yeah, I just realized my journey in life is like the playful path. That is what is most healing for me. And that's where the playful warrior came. And then because play was so powerful for me, I knew that 
it was something that needed to be spread to way more people and a business came out of it, which was very shocking for me because I had no intentions of that at the beginning. And so that is what you're doing now is to help people return to play and discover their playfulness because it is really hard for adults. That's what I find in, in my work and in my conversations with people is that when you have that light bulb moment, like you did, like, oh yeah, actually I don't, I don't really know what fun is for me. I don't really know if I play. I thought I did, but maybe I don't like that. I think for a lot of people who are disconnected, it is really, really hard to get back into it. And I want to come back to that because I want to get your all your tips on how to do that. But just want to return to something you said. What what was the 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 word that you used? The dark something of the soul? What was that expression? Dark night of the soul. Dark night of the soul. I've never heard that before. What does that mean? Yeah. So I definitely haven't coined it. It's a word that's kind of used in this spiritual space, but yeah, it's essentially when you just go through a really rough patch in Mm. life and it feels like in every area, your life is crumbling apart. And because you've lost your identity and who you thought you are, it's like time to rebuild your new identity, or you could arguably say return to your true essence too. And that was really my turn. It was like, once I lost that relationship, I lost my job. I was having these health issues. It was like, I'm not like life is so short. I had also lost a family member. Life is so short. And gosh, like it's time I live full out and I play bigger and I'm just basing my life right now. And I'm dimming my light based on what people think about me. Life is way too short for that. And it was this invitation to, yeah, develop that courage. What a great dark night of the soul. I'm sure so many people can relate to a time in their lives where they felt that for whatever reason. And I'm always really interested in playing during those times, during the dark night of the the soul, during times. And I think generally as a, as a point in time and in history, this is a very unplayful time. This is a very unfun world. I think sometimes because adult as adults, we tend to compartmentalize so much and we're kind of like the fun and the play, that's for when I'm on holiday or that's for when there's a moment in the calendar that says party. We tend to sort of compartmentalize. I think people can fi- sometimes find it a, quite a confronting bringing the light into the dark so I'm curious how you first of all felt when that was suggested to you like you know did you think hang on a minute literally everything is crumbling and you're telling me to go out and play like what the heck like what kind of reaction did you have to that um and then secondly how did you take the steps to go about um putting it into action I think because I had been going through a hard time already when it was suggested to me I was a like there was resistance, but there was also like relief. Like maybe there was a light at the end of the tunnel that I could find joy again because I was so sick of the way I was living. Um, But like, it made me very uncomfortable. The idea of like, for example, dancing around like an animal, extremely uncomfortable for me. Um, I'd be like, why would I want to do that? Uh, That doesn't, there's no purpose to it. Again, it was always about like outcome. And for me, there were just, that seemed so purposeless. And it felt like, I have better things to do um, that are more productive, right? It was a lot tying into productivity as well. Um, Little did I know that kind of stuff would make me more productive. But uh, in terms of how I got there, um, the biggest thing that I started doing, and it really just came to me one day because um, I was looking at pictures of my inner child and I found this like art I did it as a kid. And I had this thought like, wow, I haven't done art 
in so long. Like that's just not something I do because I don't feel like I'm good at Mm -hmm. art or I'm an artist. So why would I do it? And I had this idea of like, maybe I could do art, but if I put a blindfold on that will help me explore it because I had this inner critic judging everything I'm creating. And then it makes it not fun when you're just so focused and putting pressure and there's this rigidity of creating something that looks good. Um, So I decided to just get a blindfold and start drawing or put on some of my favorite songs. And I actually started having fun. Like it was a bit weird at first, but it was really freeing to separate myself from that critical inner voice and just be in the moment. Like it was just like, oh, this like, I could finally breathe a bit and it really did feel like my true self. And um, that was what really started my relationship with kind of like healing the perfectionism and embracing more play. Uh, Because once I felt that play, like for me, it was really freedom. And I felt like I had been locked in this cage for so long and that feeling of freedom was so beautiful. But um, I will say like for anyone on a play journey, everyone is really different and it makes sense if something like that makes you uncomfortable. Um, I think also just the language you use is really important. Um, so often people will just be like, I'm not playful. I yeah. could never be playful. And then you just totally cut yourself off. Like for me, I was saying things like, I'm learning to play. I'm open to trying new things. Whereas you're not saying like, I am so good at play or something that feels inauthentic, but something like I'm learning to play feels a bit more digestible and something that you can learn to do. So I was definitely being very careful of my language as well. Mm. That's really interesting because definitely people do say that and they also say I'm not creative, not playful. And I think the thing about playfulness is I, I, I have a hunch that there is an assumption that people think it is, it is a characteristic that you're born with or not. And that is completely not true. It is one of the most purest innate human traits that we have and anyone can train it up it's you know it's a muscle it's a characteristic that anyone has access to and I like to use the example of when you do a really boring chore most people have a you know an inbuilt switch that tells them to put some music on or listen to a podcast when they do that and you have to start asking well why no one really don't remember anyone teaching me to do that. It's not like I need to put up reminders to tell myself to do that, but that's like a base level built in playfulness that says, I'm going to do a boring thing. How do I make it more fun? And how do I pass the time in a more enjoyable way? And then if you blow that out (laughs) and keep going, like keep building onto that, um, it's, it is within there. It is a real deep human characteristic that we all have but you're right you have to learn you have to train you have to go slowly to to build it up if if you've been disconnected from it for a while totally but it's what's really cool is you can shift how you see yourself and you can shift your identity so I was doing a lot of future self work at the time too where I was envisioning my future self like in a year and seeing her as playful and although I didn't feel that like in the moment I could still see that and I just started yeah, like slowly doing daily shifts every day to become that person. Um, Because yeah, like you said, there's so many people saying I'm not playful, I'm not creative, which I agree is so not true. Um, And I think I also needed to hear that. And just hearing that was opening up to my mind that, okay, it is possible. There's evidence. 
And even hearing this conversation now for someone who feels like they're not playful, take this as evidence that it is possible for you uh, because your subconscious mind needs evidence. Did you find when you, you were on this journey and doing some of these activities, did you also find that you started noticing it more in the world around you? Playfulness. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Because I was so much more curious and open-minded, I started noticing play just like in nature, like even on a walk, just like seeing the leaves dance or the way like nature played was really cool. Um, Being more open, even to strangers, like just I found I was like smiling more to people. um, And that could invite like, you know, like some cheekiness and conversations where I feel like I was a lot more closed off before too. So I was definitely noticing it more. Uh, I was also bringing it to problems too. Like I was realizing that play doesn't need to just be an activity you do that is like separated. It's like, okay, I can bring it to problems. I can do playful brainstorming. I can invite play into my life all the time, Um, which was really cool too, because I had always thought of play as an activity and didn't realize how much it really was this mindset. I could bring into things. So yeah, this journey just totally blew my mind. I had no idea what I was getting into, but uh, it was so powerful. Yeah. I'm curious about your play history, like how you played as a child, because you mentioned that you had, you've had some challenges with perfectionism and I'm just super interested to hear when did you feel the shift happened from kind of being a child that plays quite freely, which hopefully most of us have that experience, to then sort of losing touch with play and, and adopting more perfectionist mindset? Yeah. So, I mean, it definitely was at school and partially at home too. So, yeah, as I mentioned, super playful as a kid, like so fully in my self-expression, um, just dancing whenever I want to dance in public, not worrying at all. One of my first memories was I started ballet very young. And unfortunately, the ballet class I did was very strict. And there was a lot of yelling. There was like a ruler. There was this threat of being hit by the ruler. Um, I was told my body was too big compared to others. And so that started like a whole body image journey for me, a very unhealthy journey. Uh, also in school, I remember I was actually super into art. I, you know, I love doing things like paper, paper mache or just drawing for the sake of it. Um, but I remember in grade one, um, being shamed because I couldn't draw in the lines. Like I, I loved just like drawing all over the paper. Um, and I was told like in my head, like you are too much, you're not good at this. And I know that started a relationship with me where I was like, okay, I'm not good at art. I'm not meant to do this. Right. And you start just like dimming down your own creative self-expression to, fit in and belong. Um, I know also I have this memory where my dad would come home. He lived, he lived uh, with me, but he went to work in Toronto, which at the time was like an hour away from me. And he worked in finance pretty long hours, but he'd come, come home every night around like 7 PM. And I would just get so excited. I would do this dance every time he would come. And like, he would always say, Oh my gosh, this is the highlight of my day. You were just like, so joyful. It brought me so much joy. And then I remember my mom mentioning, like, you're kind of getting to the point where you're too old to do that. And like, I had this moment where I was like, oh, like, I have to stop doing that. And I remember like, then when he would come, I would feel like impulses, but then I would tell myself, well, no, you're too old for that. Now don't do that. And then I know he was really sad. And like, thinking back to that, it makes me so sad. I know we all have moments like that, but it was like, yeah, this idea that it's like time to grow up Mm. and be 
more professional, uh, which is so sad because it's like the joy I felt doing that was so uninhibited yeah. and yeah. Oh, it was just so beautiful. I feel like you just described like three of the like biggies of why we stopped playing. So the first one with your ballet, like essentially a self-consciousness, a, a, a realization that people have an opinion on me. People are, you know, this external validation, I guess we can call it. The second one with the art is about only pursuing things because we are quote unquote good at them, which is again in someone else's eyes. And it's like when it's not worth doing things just for the sake of it, just for fun, just for enjoyment. Um, and then that third one, like the the con whole concept of things being babyish and having to kind of become and act a certain way because we reach a certain point in time. And I think there's we can all think of examples that right through adolescence when we are literally still children. Um, but oh, even through into adulthood when we're meant to behave in a certain way because now we are a responsible adult. I think those three examples are like the real biggies of why most people start to move away from play um, and lose touch with some of the magic that they, you know, we work so hard in our childhood to build these skills through play and then culture and society and the structures around us kind of work even harder to suck them all back out again it's a very um it's a very odd thing that happens to to most of us it's it, it's interesting to hear you talking about dance because um I work in the field of um children's research and I have three children and my daughter is a dancer um, and she dances so freely. She dances every single day for hours. She's very happy going off and building routines. And I've thought so carefully about what to do with her <laughs> and dance um, because I, I do feel like she has a certain something uh not to just make myself sound like a uh, episode of dance moms um <laughs> but but she has something but i and she has been to dance schools and things like that but um actually she, she kind of came up with the idea of of go of not not competing not going through kind of like badges and exams and grades and stuff she wants to make up her own style so she's going to different disciplines for short bursts of time and essentially just learning a bit from each of them and then continuing to build that into her own style and and I've been super aware of like protecting keeping dance in the play space for her even though it's so tempting to be like I think you could and she's even said to me at times like I think I want to do competitions and it's so difficult <laughs> to know what to do and it's such a you know with kids the landscape today is all about certificates and grades and blah 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 but I do feel like she's getting this foundation of play with her dance that if she then wants to go on and you know do that professionally I, I feel like she's not going to be inhibited by not going to all of these competitions <laughs> it's it is difficult like you said I think I have a different relationship with dance now whereas uh now I'm very playful with dance and very mm -hmm. uninhibited and I, I don't do a ton of choreography but I do sometimes go back to dance studios where you're actually like learning routine and you're trying to you know I guess be as good as you can and the way I look at it now as the body is amazing like how cool that my body can do all of yeah. that yeah 
and just like, it is fun to see how much your body can do, yeah. which sometimes I don't get when I'm in that playful state. Yes. I'm not really like pushing yeah. it. So that is cool. And like having the appreciation, but also if you do make mistakes, just like having grace and knowing you're a human and you're not a robot and that's totally fine. But then it really depends on who you're dancing with and like who is the teacher and their kind of vibe. But uh, I've heard of a ton of teachers now. I think it's a lot better where there's a lot more grace and compassion and fun in yeah. your studios. So I think it's totally possible. Like, because yeah, the body is so cool. Yeah. And um, yeah, so it for me now it's kind of fun to have a balance of both. Like I'm not competing anymore. But yeah, like I also just didn't have that knowledge when I was competing. Yeah. Uh it was very, it was like fun, but it was also stressful. And like it was so much about proving myself and yeah. proving my worth. Yeah. And, it it's only, so it's so yeah. hard isn't it because there's also good things that come from totally. you know the, the things that you're interested in if you want to take them to the next level this is like one of the my favorite topics of conversation is when you maybe like monetize something that was play for you or you stretch into another level of what was play and fun for you and it becomes more yeah perhaps you're competing at a high level or you're kind of going taking that into a a career um it, it's it's a, it's a fascinating conversation to how do you keep the love for it or you can't keep it the same therefore you need something else in your life that becomes that that play outlet yeah, that happens actually so much in my group coaching program where we try all different kinds of play and people will realize like, oh, like I'm a funny poet. I didn't know that. And then there's this kind of curiosity, like maybe I could monetize this, but do you yeah. need to monetize yes. this, right? Like, yes. do you just want this playful outlet? Or, you know, especially if they're in a job, they're not enjoying and they're like, well, I do enjoy this. How fun would this be if I could go forward this? But then it, like you said, it it's so tricky. Uh, and even me now working in play, like I have to really make a point to do play on my own. That is not like on social media as well, where, but yeah, it, it can be tricky. It, it's, I don't have the answers. I wish I do. And yeah. I, think, I think it's different for everyone too. I think that's just a, a good observation in that because a lot of people think like that, even if they're not entrepreneurs, they might. And and even I notice it like, you know, I know sort of people in my life and who have maybe got a particular creative talent, like say they're really good at making a particular craft. People always say, it's like one of the first things people say is you could sell them. <laughs> <laughs> you could sell them people would buy them and it's like it's such a kind of instinctive it's the productivity yeah. switch it's like yeah. we can't help but flick it it's like it's okay to just do something for fun <laughs> and, and 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 we shouldn't always be looking to 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 hustle everything but there are for sure opportunities that come out of play that can be related to career um, and I think they are exciting to explore but I always advise if that is the route you go down, you do have to accept that that is no longer your play because as soon as you turn something into a job, as soon as you have deadlines, you know, financial targets, you know, essentially you're accountable. You you cannot have the core characteristics of play, which is there is no there is no desired outcome that disappears. So I don't so I don't think it's wrong to do that, but you've got to find that playfulness somewhere else. Totally. I <laughs> funny something came up for me. So I was in a group coaching program myself, and we were learning how to create some like fun stories. 
And I ended up coming up with this story and everyone was like, in the chat was writing, oh my God, this needs to be a children's book. Oh my God, you have to make this a children's book. And was like turning it into like a kind of, yeah, like a path where you would monetize something. And I was excited by the idea, but I was like, or could, yeah, could I just write this for fun and maybe no one yeah. sees it? But I got so much joy out of writing that because there was no pressure on writing that story, really. Like it was yeah. it just felt so easy. Yeah. Like I didn't struggle with it because I know ever people who write books, like my friends are you know, it's been such a like arduous process and really, really tough. And whereas this like just felt so fun and so free and so playful. And like, yeah, that feeling was such a gift too. So I'm still kind of figuring out other ways for me to play. Like my biggest outlet, yeah. I would say is dance. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, like I, it is fun to find your own ways to play. And I think also, I don't know about you, but my mood for what kind of play I want to do changes like also yeah. with the seasons too. And I'm constantly kind of learning and trying new things too. Totally. And I think with my cycle as well, just on a kind of monthly yeah. basis is really affects um, what I want to play. I think for, um, for me, I, I have this term that I like to use called playhood. Like we have childhood, we have adulthood. I think we have playhood and it's almost like we, we compartmentalize our life experience into like childhood, adolescence, adulthood, but actually it's much more of a continuum, isn't it? We're sort of still mm-hmm. the, you know, the same person. So I have this expression playhood, which is just this ongoing line through your life and you can travel backwards and forwards on it and you can adjust it to whatever your life particularly needs and and, you know some big examples for me would be after each um, child that I've had I've had some kind of play project during um, my maternity time with them and I think it had a huge impact in essentially me keeping or evolving my identity intentionally and not losing a sense of myself. So with my first, um, Phoenix, when he was born, I had a blog and I used to turn my first time mum experiences into like pieces of comedy writing, essentially. And it was almost like reclaiming through play the times that I felt a bit anxious, like first time taking a pram on the bus, that sort of thing. And I would write them back in this kind of like comedy way. And it was like, yeah, the the process of playing with these experiences and putting the humor into them was incredibly therapeutic to me. The second, um, our second child, Indy, when she was born, I got completely obsessed with like making like beaded children's jewelry with kind of like And it was like the chunky shapes and like the tactility, just like threading the beads. I found incredibly like mindful and I liked organizing the beads in like this different, like I had this thing with all these different sections and just found that all very, it was almost like sort of mental organization (laughs) for me. Um, And then when um, we had Scout at the start of the pandemic, um, that's when I started doing a lot more social media actually and that was play for me um you know making videos sharing my knowledge in a way that was you know knowledge that I've had and had to use in a kind of professional pressure heavy scenarios working you know with clients and deadlines I was able to repurpose it and share it with parents just for fun and because I wanted to share it so I think like that's a really good example for me of like adapting how I'm playing at a time in my life where there is a huge 
change and a real kind of moment where okay my identity is is you know it's pivoting here it's it's evolving um and play yeah the playhood you know it comes with me and it adapts with me so I think you're right it does completely change to to your needs and I think it's also important to I think I, I don't know what your experience is like with your coaching clients but from my point of view when you talk to adults about play they tend to think about getting a hobby <laughs> like mm-hmm. oh yeah I need a hobby like I don't have a hobby and a hobby tends to be something like you do every week at the same and you kind of become a bit of an expert in it and I think there's such a difference between you know doing something that you are comfortable with and you have a level of expertise in versus trying new things like it's the trying new things through play where I think the real magic is totally and that's why so in every coaching session I do with my group coaching we have like unscheduled play so it's not like you know what you're coming into it's totally spontaneous and we usually do like I would say about five to ten things depending on how long each activity takes but it's all different like something will be like movement based then like wordplay then we'll do some kind of like improv or like silly accents and we're just going through all this stuff so that they can be in this exploratory state that's really spontaneous where there is no perfectionism because you can't prepare because so often if you know what you're going to do you're like preparing it you're overthinking it with this you're just like in the moment and you know that I don't have to achieve so I can just try new things and even with the movement exercises we do um, I'll often say like tune into your body and what you need. You don't actually have to follow along with me. Like I'll give some kind of guidance, but my goal is really to help people learn to trust themselves because so often in school we learned like this is the right way Mm. or it's like, I want you to find your way. My way isn't necessarily the right way for you. So I'll give like variations of what the movement could look like or if we're doing like a drawing activity, but there's also prompts so that you can find what your own creative expression is. And also like we're saying, like that can change. You don't have to just stick to one way. Like you can just keep trying new things because yeah, I I totally agree. I think it's so important to be in that exploratory state where once you start a routine, even with a hobby, it can kind of get monotonous. It can lose playfulness. Yeah, definitely. In your coaching, I'm guessing that at the beginning, people um, are uncomfortable with being silly. Like silliness is something I'm really interested in, actually, because I feel like it's something that can build up if you don't release it. Like I genuinely think it's like some kind of chemical or something. <laughs> and if you don't get it out, it's like I, I say it turns into serious itis because <laughs> um, then you have to release it. But it can be intimidating for people to do that especially in front of and with others um what kind of things help people like do you have any examples of like tools or tricks or activities that help people get over that resistance to silliness and letting go actually one of my favorite things is shaking it off like a shaking meditation. So you like imagine maybe it's this belief it's not safe to be silly or I'll look stupid, whatever it is. And you literally, what we'll do is we'll put on a song for two minutes. We imagine us shaking it all off our body and getting it out because so often we're so in our head, but like our body holds onto this stuff mm-hmm. too. And it's like, once you shake it off, you're feeling more energized. You're feeling more open to trying new things. And I think because the group I create everyone is so open-minded. They're scared for sure. But once you see someone else doing it, 
it encourages you to try it. And I'll ask also like ask who wants to volunteer. So I think the people who are really shy won't volunteer at first. And uh, once they see other people, they know that they've invested in themselves to get out of their comfort zone. Yeah. I also just say, you're not meant to be comfortable here. It's not going to be comfortable. Yeah. So if you if you feel uncomfortable, you're in the right place. Yeah. And just kind of knowing that, okay, my brain is working. There's not something wrong with me. I'm, I'm meant to feel scared right now, but I can feel the fear and do it anyway. And like, once you start doing it, you feel so much more free. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say like we, I would say we start getting like sillier in week three <laughs> because we need to like, yeah, get some people, like mm-hmm. adjust them in. Because yeah, once we start doing like accents and characters, um, it can definitely people get people uncomfortable. But uh, once they do, they're like, oh, this is my favorite thing. It's so often the things you're scared of that'll end up being like what you love the most. Mm. Yeah, I love that. So anyone listening now, do a little shake, shake it yeah, out. Shake it up. <laughs> So shake it. So shaking. So movement. Um, you said mentioned acting, improv. What other um, tricks do you have in your bag to to help people get playing? Yeah. So blindfolded art, I would say, yeah. is amazing. Uh, blindfolded art is great. Um, whether you want to put on some songs or you could even create things, just be like, okay, I'm going to create a new animal blindfolded and just like see what you come up with because the outcome does not matter. And it's just fun in the process. Um, I love Play-Doh as well. We do a lot of work with Play-Doh. Play-Doh is so sensory. Uh, for some, it smells good. I like the smell of it. And you really just get to use your imagination and it's, you know, reduces anxiety too in the same time. So I think Play-Doh is really good. Um, I find uh, finger painting as well. Love finger painting. That one's really can be really silly and it's so sensory. Mm. It feels so good. Um, mm. Especially if you're a perfectionist. Uh, I find often a perfectionist will be like, I don't want to do this. This is so messy. They're already thinking about the cleanup. They're like, I'm not going to enjoy this. But once they start like getting it on their hands, there's just this feeling of like, relief and like tension and just like yeah there's such a feeling of freedom like whenever I'm stressed if I finger paint I feel so much better yeah I think there's something about what you're talking about here these activities are almost like they're almost like tangible metaphors that you experience to offset some of those perfectionist traits so you know when you are finger painting when you are using a play-doh for example perfectionism is impossible to achieve and once you start it's very clear that even if you're still there when you start that activity that you you can't you can't have it like it doesn't almost exist within the the way that you experience those materials in that way and and it's almost like um because we could sit down and have a conversation about perfectionism and, you know, what it looks like and how it feels and like how maybe you can kind of, you know, work towards not thinking this way or that way. But I feel like through those types of activities, it's it's like having that conversation, but you sort of embody it through your hands and your senses and um, the memory that you, because when we touch things, tactility, it sort of forms such deeper, deeper memories. And it's, yeah, I don't know, it's almost like you're, you're playing out these metaphors. <laughs> Totally. That's, that's exactly it. And yeah, like in the program, we do mindset stuff. We, we talk about like how to navigate praise or criticism or the things that perfectionists find really hard, but it's like in the play, like actually experiencing play, not just talking about it is like, what is so incredibly healing because even with movement, for example, in my program, like we're not doing choreography. It's quite like silly movement or it's like open-ended. It's like, 
imagine you are an ant who is like dodging human footsteps or something like that, where mm. there's no way to do that perfectly. Or like, yeah. imagine you are an alien and there's no one way an alien looks, yeah. right? It's like, you get to kind of discover that on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, and so stuff that's like really open-ended like that, it just invites this chance to be curious and explore mm-hmm. and try new ways of doing it. Um, and so, yeah, and that's, that's what I found so healing a few years ago. And then that's why now I can return to the dance studio and not be as competitive and just enjoy it. But also mm-hmm. at the same time, like, you know, push my body and yeah. see what we yeah. can do. How do you find people engage with imaginative exercises? Imagination is a little bit like a muscle. If you stop using it, it becomes weaker, I think. Yeah, I'm interested to hear if you notice through your program the return to sort of stretching your imagination. Does it sort of return quite quickly? Like, like how do people experience reconnecting with using their imagination in this way because I think one of the things that also happens when we stop playing as much is our imagination can do a multitude of things and one of them it can do is worry fear anxiety it can imagine the worst all of the time and we don't tend to use it so much to you know talk you know do the things like what you're thinking about unless really you're around kids and I'm just yeah I'm interested to to hear if you have any observations of people's return to stretching their imagination and how they find that process yeah a lot of what you just said to be honest I'm always really surprised Mm -hmm. just what people come up with and Mm -hmm. how how different the group is um but I think what really helps them is like knowing there's no pressure for example say an exercise was about creating a new animal. And like, you know, I would give prompts, like you can choose already existing animals, you can like choose an object and an already existing animal to create something. And say someone like ended up just creating a cat, but maybe it had like one eye or something. It's like, just not judging it, just like learning to accept whatever comes up. And I think the spirit of like non-judgment really helps Mm. people be Mm. super imaginative. Like Mm. I always actually try not to even praise people for what they do though, because I don't want them to become dependent on praise. I yeah. want them to like validate themselves. So I'll just ask questions like, oh, what's the name? Mm. Or like, what's the story behind that? But uh yeah, like speaking here, like the imagination is wild. Like they're everyone is so imaginative, yeah. comes up with such different things. It's it's really cool. And I think maybe it's because they feel safe in the space too. Mm. Um, and like that safety and when your nervous system is more regulated, I mm. think you can be more creative too. And think about things and just explore and know that mm. whatever you say, you're not going to be judged. You're not going to be shamed because yeah, it's, it's really special. It's always so heartwarming to see just what people come up with. I think the spark as well. Like I think um, we need a little bit more scaffolding, a little bit more of an invitation to imagine when we're adults for kids. It's just like, it's just how they are all the time. It's just almost like it's switched on constantly. Whereas I think, as adults, we can, we, we switch it off. So when we get these invitations, like you're saying, the non-judgmental permission to come and imagine, I think that massively helps reconnect totally. as well. Cause, Cause even when I think back to my old job in the corporate world, if we were doing like a brainstorm, I would be very scared to share yeah. ideas. Cause I would yeah. feel like this isn't good enough. This isn't up to mm. par. Whereas like in this program, there's no trying to be good enough. There's like, Mm -hmm. you don't have to be worried at all. Nothing you say is stupid. So I think that's why it's like, 
there's this relief and you just know that you can say anything. And I think, you know, people of course will feel uncomfortable at first, especially mm. if this is not something you're doing day to day, but as time goes on, you start feeling more comfortable as with anything, with any mm. new habit. Do you do your coaching a one-to-one as well as in the groups? Do yeah. you notice any difference in imagining as a collective versus with an individual gosh yeah so I do both I started with one-on-one and um it went really well but then clients were saying would you ever do this in a group just because I think there is more healing of that fear of judgment when you're in a group and you're more like in the spotlight um so I think sometimes the healing that can happen in community is so so powerful and I think also you can get inspired by what other people are doing and it can ignite so I would say in that way, like potentially more imagination in the group. But at that same time, there's some people who are more comfortable in one-on-one. And I think maybe that comfort allows them to be more creative Mm. too when they're not in front of the group. So I think it really just depends on the person. Yeah, totally. What what kind of reactions have you had when you tell people that you're working in the space of play? Because I think that we're still... Oh, I don't know what it's like in America, but I think here in England, I think we're like as a culture when we don't really understand play that well. And yeah, I'd love to hear like your, it might be your family, your friends, just random people that you meet that ask what you do. Like, how do people understand and react when you tell them that you work in the play space and you're helping people to play? Yeah. So the responses are so varied. It really depends on the person. Um, I would say initially, uh, when I launched this in 2020, uh, everyone thought I was totally out of my mind and, or the majority of people, I could literally count on one hand, like how many people had told me, this is a really good idea. Other people would be like, um, like, are you sure you don't want to go back to corporate? Just like, make sure you have like that safety. Like people were really worried for me. I actually did have uh, one family member stopped talking to me. Um, they were really quite upset with that decision, which was really hard for me. Um, but I just like knew in my heart, this is what I was meant to do. Um, and yeah, I think overall, maybe people to my face are like kinder, but I know I've heard of people, you know, really disagreeing with this path or just thinking it's so out of my mind. It's so different than what I used to do. Um, it's so silly. Um, but uh, yeah, and then I meet people who maybe have been doing inner child healing or they've been going to therapy and they hear what I do and they're like, oh my God, this is so needed. This is so amazing. This is exactly what I need um, because they've been feeling this rigidity and lack of play in their life. Mm. And then I can get a really good response. So it really depends on the person. Mm. Um, yeah, there's definitely people who don't understand it. For yeah. sure. Um, it was interesting. I, I met someone uh, last week and we were having a conversation. I was actually explaining to him what I do. And um, he actually was quite open to the idea, but he was talking about how he had just signed up for an improv class with a friend. And in the first class, they were asked to like act like giraffes. And she actually ended up quitting the program. She was like, this is so stupid. I don't want to do this. I was like, oh, wow, she would not like my program. (laughs) Um, So there's still like so much resistance. Yeah. In adults, right? And so for me, it's sad because I can just see like the wounded inner child within wants to play, wants that free, unscheduled, spontaneous play. Like it's so freeing, but we've just been so conditioned, Mm. many of us, um, away from that. So, Mm. and so honestly, I, I get sad when I see that, but um, I know that there's a lot of people having a play awakening Mm. or wanting more of it in their life and they're more curious about it. So it is exciting at the same time to see more people being open to yeah 
Do you feel like societal relationship and understanding of play has changed post-COVID? A little bit. Um, I still think a lot of people think of play, though, as competitive, like Mm -hmm. as about an outcome. Like I think a lot of people will be like, oh, like hockey is play or something. And it could be like it depends how you're feeling. Right. And um, if you find that joy and curiosity in it. But I think like I think still play is quite misunderstood um, as to like what it really is and why it's so important but I think slowly it's getting better like I I am seeing like more actually more people are coming to me who like want to be play coaches and are asking for tips on that so I think like there is more people are looking to go on the playful path which is cool but it's still misunderstood what is your core I suppose mission that's guiding you as to why you think this is important like why do you think it matters that there are more playful people in the world I think it's really about helping people live for their own joy I think so many people are living for others approval and living with this idea that we have to be perfect or productive or professional or prove ourselves and um, that is exhausting that leads to burnout that leads to depression anxiety and uh, I think life is too short for that and play has been this way of like healing for me and um, I just want that freedom for everyone else I want people to be living authentically because life is so short and I know authentic is such like a buzzword but um, that's what comes to mind when I think of play well when we play we are the most we're always authentically us in play Um, so the more we do it the more we are us what 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 would you say is different about healing? Because you've used that as a word you've used quite a lot. Healing through play versus healing through therapy, healing through relaxation, healing through whatever else. What's what's unique about healing specifically through play? Oh, I think it's just like it's joyful. It's fun. It's more uninhibited it's yeah. less structured and less rigid and I found the other things to and those things aren't valid uh, I've definitely healed through things like therapy and meditation mm. and doing more like shadow work and things like that but uh yeah just the play is more lighthearted, yeah and joyful and it just feels connected to that little me mm. and like that's what little me wants is yeah. just that freedom and um I, I haven't been able to access that any more than through play mm. Amazing. Well, where where can the people find you, Cara? Yeah, so on Instagram or on social media at The Playful Warrior and my website's theplayfulwarrior.com. You can check it out. I have some a freebie. So if you're finding yourself looped into perfectionism, you have a loud inner critic, you're finding it hard to access play, there's a free uh, tapping emotional freedom techniques that'll help you really feel those feelings and release them so that you can invite more confidence and playfulness in your life. I also have uh, a free or sorry, it's um, almost free. It's a morning routine that helps you start the day with play. It's called five ways to start your day with play. And it's only $5 right now. So it's super accessible and it can help you just get off on the right foot and the right energy, but you can also do it any time of the day. It doesn't have to just be in the morning. Um, But yeah, that's had really great responses as well. If you want to uh, lock that in and then I also have the group coaching program if you do want to explore that more it's called wild and worthy um, you can find more on my website and hop on the wait list for that amazing thank you so much for your time it's been yeah really insightful and just I think people will be so inspired to hear 
your journey and what you're putting out in into the world i love chatting to you and appreciate you being here thank you so much this was so great